Hey, good morning, church. Yeah, you can applaud for that. That's all good. How many of you got to participate yesterday in family service day? Thank you so much for doing that. We had a great time, and it was a beautiful day, and got a lot accomplished, so thank you. Those, those of us who served have a good feeling. Those of us who didn't get to serve don't feel quite as good. And so if you want the good feeling, next time there's an opportunity like that, you sign up to serve. And it really helps. We, uh, we are beginning a new series today. It's a three-week series on the subject of hope. Would you agree everybody needs hope? It's a very important subject. We uh, are taking our cues from a book that's been written by Pastor Craig Rochelle entitled Hope in the Dark, Believing God is Good When Life is Not. Sounds like a challenging, relevant, meaningful title, doesn't it? So you might reference that book if you get a chance. It's very, very good. We are going to use the book of Habakkuk. Habakkuk is one of the minor prophets in the Old Testament. Now, he's called a minor prophet not because he spent his whole career in the minors, never got to the major leagues. <laughs> he's, the minor prophets in the Old Testament are those 12 books that are relatively short in, in length. And so that's for the reason to call them minor uh, but their messages are major messages and very important. Habakkuk only has three chapters, so we're going to tackle each of these chapters over the next three weeks. Habakkuk was a prophet in Israel who prophesied about 600 years before Jesus was on the earth, so about 2,600 years ago from us. And his name is kind of interesting, Habakkuk. Uh, to say it pr properly, it, it's almost like if you imagine yourself coughing up a hairball. You can say it properly. You want to try it? Go ahead. Habakkuk. Yeah, just let the... Just, <coughs> cough that right up. And so that's his name. Habakkuk was a little bit different uh, among the prophets. Most of the prophets, of course, heard from God and spoke to the people a message from God. And so a prophet in the Old Testament would hear a message from God and convey it to the people. So he spoke on God's behalf to the people. And these, these words, these prophetic words, would just be simply defining what God was thinking about a particular moment and circumstance in history and define that with their words. And then occasionally there would be a, a, a foretelling of future events, a predictive sense, and the prophet would talk about things that were yet future. And so this was the role of the prophet. But Habakkuk kind of flipped flipped the role upside down, and rather than speaking for God to the people, Habakkuk is actually representing the people and speaking to God. So he hears the cries of the people. They're in a low time. Uh, this is a desperate time in the nation of Israel. And Israel kind of went up and down like this throughout history. And so you had times, periods of times when they were blessed and prosperous and leadership was strong, and then they would, they would get sloppy and and lose their way and rebel and, and engage sinful behaviors and then judgment would come and they would slip down into a trough. And this happened to be a low spot. And Habakkuk didn't appreciate the way God was responding to the people and their suffering. And so he had something to say to God. He was ventilating to God. So Habakkuk speaks on behalf of the people to God and then God speaks back to him in response. And that's what we find in these three chapters of Habakkuk. So today we want to talk about how to enlarge the hope that we have in our lives the best we can 
And we will start from chapter 1 of Habakkuk. If you have your Bibles, you can turn there. If not, we're going to read the first nine verses. We'll project them on the screen. Our custom is to stand to hear God's word, so thank you for doing that as you're able. Chapter 1, the prophecy that Habakkuk the prophet received. Now here's, these next verses are Habakkuk's complaint. He's talking for the people to God. How long, Lord, must I call for help, but you do not listen? Or cry out to you violence, but you do not save? Why do you make me look at injustice? Why do you tolerate wrongdoing? Destruction and violence are before me. There is strife and conflict abounds. Therefore, the law is paralyzed and justice never prevails. The wicked hem in the righteous so that justice is perverted. Now, here's the Lord's answer, if you will. This is what he hears back from God. Look at the nations and watch and be utterly amazed, says the Lord. For I am going to do something in your days that you would not believe even if you were told. I'm raising up the Babylonians, that ruthless and impetuous people who sweep across the whole earth to seize dwellings not their own. They are feared and dreaded people. They are a law to themselves and promote their own honor. Their horses are swifter than leopards, fiercer than wolves at dusk. Their cavalry gallops headlong. Their horsemen come from afar. They fly like an eagle swooping to devour. They all come intent on violence. Their hordes advance like a desert wind and gather prisoners like sand. And may God inspire. May he instruct us through his word today. You may be seated. Thanks so much. Now, Habakkuk essentially is asking the same questions that so many people are asking today. In fact, and indeed, these questions have been asked by people throughout history. He wanted to know, why doesn't God seem fair? Why does life work out the way it does sometimes? First point on your outline, you might want to write this down, is that question. Why doesn't God seem fair? Why doesn't he seem fair? Look again at our verses 2 and 3. I'll put this on the screen. I want you to just absorb this if you can. Hear this, hear this cry from Habakkuk. How long, Lord, must I call for help, but you do not listen? Or cry out to you violence, but you do not save? Why do you make me look at injustice? Why do you tolerate wrongdoing? These are the why questions of life, aren't they? Why didn't you heal my daughter? Why did you let my baby die? Why should one of your choice servants have to suffer so much? One of the things I appreciate about the Bible, and maybe you appreciate it the same way, Habakkuk is a good example, but how real the scriptures are, how honest they are, how raw they are, so that we identify with the deepest of emotions and the most difficult of questions. Yeah. In fact, the name Habakkuk, you might want to write this down in your outline so you'll have this. Habakkuk actually means to embrace or to wrestle. Embrace or wrestle. And Habakkuk's doing everything he can in this text to embrace the God that he knows. He, he, he believes he understands God and his nature and character, but the things he's seeing around him, the circumstances of his life aren't consistent with what he believes to be true about God. And so it's hard for him. He's trying to embrace a meaningful faith, but at the same time, he's wrestling with God. He's wrestling and grappling with God, trying to understand why this is happening. You should, you should hear this warning. Uh, this, is, this is not uh, going to be a typical series of sermons. 
Uh, you remember when you were growing up, you used to watch uh, sitcoms on TV. When, in my era, it was uh, I Love Lucy, Dick Van Dyke Show, uh, Andy Griffith. A subsequent generation, maybe it was the Brady Bunch or Happy Days. Some, some of you are from the area where, era where Friends were po- was popular and The Office, that sort of thing. In a, in a sitcom, uh, this is how it went in a 30-minute segment, including commercial breaks. In 30 minutes, you have the people who are happy. Then you have some kind of issue, some kind of drama, some kind of challenge, some kind of problem. And over the course of those 30 minutes, those issues, that drama gets resolved and everybody's happy again. So you've got happy people, people traumatized by something, and then it all cleaned up at the end. And in 30 minutes, including commercial breaks, you have a happy ending. This sermon's not like that. These series of sermons are not like that. Uh, And that's not a bad style, by the way, of preaching, because this is what we typically do. This is how we instruct one another in the church. We have people who are faithful, and these are the folks who want to learn more about God or about their faith. Pardon me just a second. (coughs) Or Or they need to know about how to deal with a particular struggle or issue. And then we have the Word of God, and the Bible addresses all kinds of life issues and faith issues and so forth. So we take the scripture, which is a lamp to our feet and a light to our path, and we study the scripture. And then the pastor, the teacher, talks about this issue and the application of God's truth to that particular issue. And we all learn something and we all have a map now of steps we can take to improve our lives and live a more honorable faith. And, And so that's church. And we say, that's great. We all came in here. We, had, we talked about this issue. Now we know more about that. We have a, we have a course forward, and so we're better for it. Uh, you've been to church. Enjoy lunch. And that's what we do. And that's not bad. That's perfectly all right. I'm just saying this sermon and this series of sermons won't be like that. Not going to be like that. So I just wanted to give you that, that particular warning. Life, life happens, doesn't it? Sometimes life is good. Sometimes life just comes right to you and it couldn't be easier. And you wonder why other people are struggling when it's so good for you. Uh, you know, you're a person, you just got a, out of college and you, you get a job, but then you, get, you lose your job. So you pray, God, please give me another job. And God gives you a job right away. And the first day you're on the job, you're in the cafeteria and you're having lunch there. And this handsome young guy comes and sits next to you and you're a single woman and you're happy to see him. And you and this relationship develops very quickly and, and you become engaged and, and life is perfect. Then you discover that the owner of the company you work for now is, is your fiance's father and he's a very successful businessman and he's very generous. And so as a wedding gift to you and your fiance, he gives you this business. You get married and you realize the business is worth a gazillion dollars. So you sell it and you make all this money and you retire when you're 33. And life is wonderful. It's a beautiful life and you're happy about it and you're blessed and it's all good. And that's kind of like a sitcom. Here's the problem. Life is not a sitcom, is it? In life, everything's not resolved in 30 minutes or less with commercial breaks. In life, issues aren't resolved sometimes in 30 days or 30 years. That's what happens. Sometimes in life, you lose your job and you pray for another job and you don't get one for a while. When you finally secure a new job, it's well below your capacity and your educational level. 
and it feels demeaning to you and you feel like a failure. Sometimes real life, you have a good marriage and you devote yourself to your spouse, but your spouse betrays you. Rather than owning the betrayal, they blame you for what you didn't do in the relationship and they divorce you anyway and your life is in pieces. Sometimes in real life, you try to take care of yourself physically and you try to take care of your health, but you go to the doctor and he reports to you that you have a serious disease. Maybe you have cancer. Now you have to have surgery and you have to have radiation and chemotherapy and it takes months and months of recovery. But you beat cancer and you're happy about it and you thank God. And then years later, cancer comes back. You have to do the whole thing all over again. And you wonder why. Why is this happening? Why is it so hard? You have friends who are well-meaning, maybe Christian friends, and they say, well, just hang in there. Keep trusting the Lord. You know, let go and let God. And they say things that may be theologically correct, but, you know, it just kind of grates on you because your life is raw and confused and painful. You want to do what the Scripture teaches, which is lay hands on one another. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Back up. Not helpful. Yeah, yeah. Habakkuk is feeling this way. Look at, look at verses 3 and 4. Let me put it on the screen. I want you, to, I want you to try to really feel it. He says, why do you make me look at injustice? Why do you tolerate wrongdoing? Destruction and violence are before me. There's strife and conflict. Therefore, the law is paralyzed. Justice never prevails. The wicked him and the righteous so that justice is perverted. Why are you allowing this, God? I don't understand what you're doing. It doesn't seem right to me. So he has these problems with God, these complaints with God. Right in the middle of your outline, you'll see three things. Habakkuk's problems with God, let me just give you those. You don't seem to really care. Number two, you aren't doing much when you could. Number three, what you are doing doesn't seem fair. You don't seem to really care. You aren't doing much when you could. What you are doing doesn't seem fair. Let me ask you a question. How many of you would be honest with me? You've been in seasons of your life when if you were God, that, that season of your life would have been totally different. Raise your hand. Like if I was God, if I was in charge of this, this, this would be completely different than it is. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Have you ever wondered, God, are you, are you still paying attention? Do you still care? Are you still there? Are you engaged in my life? And is it okay to even ask these kinds of questions of God? Is it okay to push back on God? Or is it harmful or is it wrong or is it sinful to criticize God? Let me answer the question by reminding you that the Psalms, there are 150 Psalms and about one third of them, about one third of them are Psalms from, uh, from people crying out to God about pain. There are songs in the middle of trials that people don't understand. There are several books of the Bible, in fact, that are, that are all about the suffering of the servants of God. Books like Lamentations and Ecclesiastes and Jeremiah and Job express confusion about the suffering of God's people. Even Jesus on the cross. I mean, here's a guy who didn't do anything wrong. He didn't deserve anything bad. You know, he's hanging there giving his life 
wondering what I did to deserve this. And he cries out from the cross, why? Why leave me now? Why turn your back on me now? Why have you forsaken me? If you're a follower of Jesus, this is likely what happened to you. Some point in your life, you were either having a good experience in life or not so good an experience, and you realize that you're trying to live life without God. And maybe you thought it's better to live your life with God in your life. And so someone invites you to church maybe, and you come to church, you hear a sermon or you hear a song or someone inspires you and you decide that maybe I should be a Christian, a follower of Jesus. And, and so you, you take the steps and you invite Jesus Christ to be your savior and to forgive your sins and you start living for God. And immediately life gets good. Life, life is wonderful. It's beautiful. I mean, every time you come to church, the sermon is just, just for you and it ministers to you. Every time you open the, the Bible and you read, you know, those, it just ministers directly to your thoughts and your circumstances. And you're so thrilled every time you pray, God answers your prayers just like that. And you get in your car, turn on the radio and it's your favorite song. And you go down to the store and there's a empty parking spot right by the door. And life is just working for you. But then life happens. You come to church and the sermon is, eh. Maybe, maybe someone else got something out of that one. <laughs> this one wasn't for me, I guess. <laughs> Turn on the radio and it's not your favorite song. You go to the store, you can't find a single place to park. You pray and God's not answering. Stuff like that happens, doesn't it? Happens all the time. Your daughter gets sick and she, she won't get well. You pray for your grandma and she dies anyway. Yeah. Dating this Christian guy he, and he disappoints you. Go to the doctor and he gives you a bad re- report. At some point, many of us have what Henry Blackaby described in the book he wrote called Experiencing God when he coined the phrase, a crisis of belief. A crisis of belief. God, if you're so good, why am I in this situation? If you're so careful with me, why am I in this moment of life? Why is this happening right now? Do you even care about me? And at this point, people, people usually assume that there are only two options. When life gets really, really hard and, and you really have confusion and pain, most people imagine two different responses to that. The one option is what some Christians choose, and that is to simply be in denial about how terrible it is, how difficult it is. And so they live in denial. How are you? You know they're in crisis. How are you doing? Oh, I'm doing fine. I'm doing okay. I'm blessed. You know, you hear people use these kinds of words when they're not, they're not well at all. Listen, denial isn't a healthy thing to engage in. It's just not. It's not good emotionally, it's not good spiritually, it's not good relationally. And so you, you, but many Christians choose this path. Look, I know God is good. I know God is good, but what's happened to me is horrific. And I just can't, I just can't connect those two thoughts at the same time. And it, so it's, it's too hard. And so, and so I just choose not to try to connect them. God is good. And I guess I'll be okay. I'll just pretend like it, what happened to me didn't happen to me. It's, it's not a good choice. The other option that people think they have, they, folks just assume there are only two options under these circumstances. And the other option is to just give up. 
Folks say, look, I tried this faith thing. I tried Jesus. I tried to pray. I tried to read the Bible. I tried to go to church. I tried to be a good person. I tried to do the best I can. But this has happened to me. And so screw it. This isn't working. The whole God thing doesn't work in my life. And so I'm just going to walk away from God. Because if this is what it means to serve God, then just count me out. Because this just isn't going to happen. But let me just encourage you today with this. This is the most important thing I'll say to you today. If you don't get anything else out of this message, I hope you can hear this. There is a third option. You don't have to live in denial and you don't have to leave your faith when you're in a mess. There's a third option that is legitimate and not merely legitimate, but it's the best way. It's the best way forward. And it has to do with Habakkuk. And it's point number two on your outline. I want you to write this down. A committed believer can both wrestle with honest questions and at the same time embrace a genuine faith in God. Receive permission to go there. It's okay. It's not just okay. It's good. It's good to go there. It is, it is right and good and proper for a believer to both wrestle with God, push back on God, and also embrace a genuine faith. Now you say, okay, thank you for that permission. That's really helpful. That, that really is helpful. So I'm gonna do that. Now I'm just gonna, I'm gonna wrestle, I'm gonna question, I'm gonna grapple with God, try to figure this out, do the best I can. At the same time, I'm gonna hang on to Jesus. Uh, it, 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 it doesn't always fit together perfectly, but I'm gonna, I can do both of those things. I can do that at the same time and I'm gonna do it. So, so now that I'm doing that, life's gonna get better then, right? No, not necessarily. It may, but it may not. But surely if, you, if you're doing the best thing, it's gotta get better. No, sorry could get worse before it gets better. That's, that's life. So what's going on here? What is a committed follower of Jesus to do? Well, look at on the screen with me at James chapter one, verses two to four. James wrote, consider it pure joy, brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds. Now hold it right there. What the is he talking about? Consider it all joy when you face various trials? Wait, what? What, what do you mean? I, I'm not feeling that. I'm not going there, so I need more help. Okay, why would I do that? Okay, because, next, next word, because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. Oh, okay, well, so I'm going through hell, and now you just want me to, endure a little bit better as I'm going through hell. You want to give me some more stamina as I'm going through hell. Is that it? Yeah, yeah, you get perseverance when you encounter trials. How many of you, you know, I'm not, still not encouraged. Anybody here know I'm, I'm still not feeling it. I'm still not quite there. I'm not, I'm not getting it yet. So we have to read on. Let perseverance finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, lacking in nothing. Oh, oh. Now we come to 
Now we come to terms with the ultimate purpose that God has designed for your life and my life. All of our lives, God has one primary purpose in mind for all of us. The Bible says that for whom he did foreknow, that's you and me. He knew us before there wasn't us. He knew us. For whom he did foreknow, he predestined what? To be conformed to the image of his dear son. God's ultimate goal, God's ultimate plan for all of us is to shape us into the image of Jesus Christ. He wants us to be formed into his image. And that means there's all kinds of stuff in us that isn't like Jesus. And so that stuff has to be taken out of us. And there's all kinds of virtues and values and character traits about Jesus that aren't in us. And so those have to be put in. So the life that we live ultimately is designed, the ups and the downs, the, 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 the good times and bad times, all being used of God to actually shape us, mold us into grown-up, mature, Christ-like people. Now listen, it's good to know that, but it's not easy to live that. One day Jesus was teaching and there was a big crowd that got, got around. This happened to him a lot. And the reason crowds got around Jesus was because he was profound, but he was also a miracle worker. And so people, people you understand 2,000 years ago in Palestine, you couldn't go to the doctor and get an antibiotic. People were desperate. Lifespans were very short. So people followed Jesus around just to get a, get a healing touch and to receive grace in their life. So they're chasing him around. And Jesus perceived one day that this crowd was basically waiting for a miracle or waiting for some pyrotechnics that he might perform. And he discerned that about them. And so he said to them finally, you know, unless you eat my flesh and drink my blood, you have no part in me. You have no part in me. Well, apart from saying that it's kind of creepy, folks, folks went, what do you mean? Ooh. And Jesus refined it so that folks actually could understand what he was talking about. And what he was essentially saying to them was, look, I am going to give my life for you. I am going to literally die for you. Now, in response to this sacrifice I'm making for you, my expectation of you is to give your life for me. I'm going to die for you. You have to die for me. So if you're not willing to reciprocate the giving of life one to the other, you can't tag along with me. You can't follow me. Watch what happened that day. People began to drift away. This, well, that's crazy. That's, that's not right. That's too much. You're asking too much. going to cost me too much. And so count me out. So people just all walked away. Everybody left except the 12 disciples. And there they were. And Jesus said, aren't you guys going to leave too? They look at Jesus. They look at each other. They look back at Jesus and they go, we don't have anywhere else to go. We've already left everything we knew before. We're not real thrilled about the whole thing at this point. <laughs> We've got nowhere else to go. Finally, one of them said, you know, we can't leave you. You're the ones who have, you have the words to life. You're the hope. You're the hope we have. We've got to stick with you. The last phrase in that, in that whole context goes like this. And from that day forward, 
not many people followed him. That's pretty sobering, isn't it? It's pretty startling. From that day forward, not many. So he didn't have big crowds trailing after him after that day. It's interesting, isn't it? And so we have a choice to make, don't we? We have to choose in these moments. We can either live in denial and pretend like it's not as bad as it really is, or we can turn our back on God and just walk away from our faith. Or we can choose to wrestle with our doubts and wrestle with our pain and wrestle with our suffering, wrestle with it. You got to grapple with it. You can seek to understand it. Try to somehow make sense of it, even though it doesn't make any sense. But you've got to wrestle. And at the same time, you've got to hang on and embrace, embrace your faith in Christ. 29 years ago, Beth, my wife was diagnosed with breast cancer. Beth's mother died of the disease when she was 39 years old. Her maternal grandmother died of the disease. She had, she had a maternal aunt who died of the disease. Her, her family has a, uh, a genetic mutation that they pass on from generation to generation. And Beth has that mutation. She developed this disease. We went through surgery, radiation, chemotherapy. Her pathology was not good. Her prognosis was uncertain. It was very desperate time. And just two and a half years ago, she was diagnosed again with the disease. We went through all of it again. And you stop and wonder why. The first, the first time we went through it, I, we, have to, we have this testimony, it was more difficult. It was the first time the boys, our boys were young and she was 35 years old. You know, her mother passed away at 39. I looked the oncologist in the eyes as soon as treatment was over, and I said, you tell me what to expect. And he said, no one knows what's going to happen. Your wife's going to be alive probably in the next five years. After that, we don't know. Blah, blah, blah. I was so upset. I was so hurt. I was so disillusioned. For months, I wrestled with these things. One day I did. I went out in the backyard. I don't know where God was, but I looked up into the sky and I shook my fist. And I, and I, at the top of my voice, I called God every name in the book. How dare you? This is what it means to follow you. Count me out. This is the implication. If this is how you treat your people, who needs it? I got it off my chest that day and in subsequent days. But over and over again, I kept rehearsing that moment that I just described to you in the Gospels where Jesus turns to the disciples and said, aren't you guys checking out too? Aren't you going to leave me too? And finally, one of them says, where would we go? We got nowhere else to go. If there was somewhere else to go, I would go there. There's nowhere else to go. Who would you turn to? What would you do with your life? This is what I was left with. This is what everyone's left with. I thought it through. This is what I do in my head. I, re I rehearse consequences. If I do this, what's going to happen down the road? If I turn my back on God right now and I just go off and live my life figuring it out the best I can on my own, that's not going to end well because the stuff that I go chasing on my own isn't going to be good for me or anyone I love. 
There's nowhere else to go. So for all of these years, when disappointment comes to our lives and the, and, and the questions of why and the suffering and the pain and the, the hassle and the betrayal and all the stuff that happens to all of us in the course of life, what we have discovered is that the best way forward is to hang on to the ankle of Jesus with one hand, if you need to, and shake your fist with the other. It's okay. Because God would rather have you angry with him then walk away from him. And we have discovered that we have found the kind of maturity that James talked about in chapter one when he said, count it all joy because the joy of the trial produces perseverance and the perseverance produces character. You are shaped in the image of Christ. And so we have not only matured and we have grown and become more capable in leadership. Listen to me. We have seen grow in our life this most important value of hope. We have more hope today than we've ever had. That's a good thing. We have hope. We have hope. We have hope. And so you hear your pastor from time to time use this phrase, whatever your circumstance, whatever your station, whatever your story, whatever's going on in your life, remember this, the best is yet to come. The best is yet to come. And that is absolutely the truth. That's absolutely the truth as a follower of Jesus. So it's okay. Wrestle with your pain. Embrace your faith. God will see you through. Now what happens, we get a response here from God to Habakkuk's complaining, hey, we're suffering down here. This is in, uh, unbearable down here. We, this is unmanageable down here. You got to do something. God says, okay, I'll do something. I'll do something that you wouldn't believe if I told you what I'm going to do. Here's what I'm going to do. <laughs> I'm going to send your worst enemies, the Babylonians, to you. And you think it's dark now, it's going to get really dark. You think it's bad now, it's going to get really bad. Because these guys, these guys are violent. They're vicious. They're murderous. They're going to they're gonna put a hurt on you. They're coming. And, and it's not going to be pleasant. <laughs> and you go, what? What do you mean? <laughs> what? Yeah, yeah. Is it going to get better? No, nah, probably going to get worse first. Think it's bad now? It's going to get bad. Think it's dark now? It's going to get darker. So what's a committed follower of Jesus to do? committed follower of Jesus has to learn how to wrestle with the disappointment and embrace a meaningful faith. Did I warn you that this didn't have a happy ending? This sermon? I warned you. It is what it is. It is what it is. So let's pause for a few moments this morning and let's pray about these things. Would you do it? Bow your heads with me. This statement comes from Craig Rochelle in his book, Hope in the Dark. Just listen to these words for a moment. Think about it. Your head's bowed, your eyes are closed. Think. What if honestly acknowledging your doubts is the first step toward building a deeper faith? What if embracing your secret questions opens the door for a maturing knowledge of God's character? What if, what if drawing closer to God, developing genuine intimacy with him requires you to bear something that feels unbearable? 
Listen, listen, listen. What if it takes real pain to experience deep and abiding hope? So Father, I pray for those today who find themselves in a very difficult place. I pray that they'd have the courage, yes, and feel the permission to wrestle while they try to embrace you. I wonder if there's people in the room today, you'd say, great. Would you pray for me? I want to embrace a meaningful faith, but I'm wrestling. I'm, I'm, I'm struggling. Would you lift your hand up right now? Just lift it up and say, yeah, that's me. I, I, I get this. I understand. So many. Lord, I thank you that you've given us your word, the Bible, and it gives us permission to be real and to be raw. And so, God, help us to cling to your character, your nature, to believe that you are good, even when life is not. I want to pray for someone who may be in the room right now who feels like you've tried. You've tried hard to serve God, and right now you want to walk away. Lord, I pray that they wouldn't walk away. Don't let their doubts drive them away from you, but God, enable us to allow our doubts to drive us to you. Actually giving us faith, even while we're wrestling, to continue to embrace our hope. There may be someone in the room right now, you're hurting and you're really low. Sometimes I, I think God will allow us to get really low so that we realize we can't manage it ourselves. We need God. Some of you may right now even be feeling the weight of your own sin. I mean, your pain, your situation may be self-inflicted. You may feel so guilty, so alone, so dirty, so vulnerable, so bad. You know, you're trying to be good, but you can't. Even when in your good days, you realize you're not good enough. And that's why God is so good. Remember, he's, he loved us so much, he sent his son Jesus, who was perfect in every way and without sin. And he died in our place on the cross so that we could be forgiven. He was raised from the dead. Think about that. One day dead, two days dead. The third day, they go to this tomb. They roll the stone away. He's not there. He's risen from the dead. Why did he do that? So that anyone, this includes you, doesn't matter who you are, doesn't matter what you've done, doesn't matter how much you hurt, doesn't matter how bad your life has been, anyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be forgiven. Remember, not just saved from your sins, but saved for a life that matters. There's some of you, you know it, you sense it. You're here not by accident. You're here because God brought you here for this moment. You need Jesus. You need his grace. You need his love. You need his salvation. If you want to turn from your sin today and turn toward him, give him your life, then I want to invite you to pray with me right now. I want you to join all of our voices. Nobody prays alone. All, all, everyone out loud after me. Pray out loud. You ready? Dear Heavenly Father, take my life. Forgive my sins. Make me brand new. Fill me with your spirit so I can serve you and follow you every day of my life. I trust you. I embrace you. And I'm willing to wrestle Use me to show your love. Thank you for new life. Now you have mine. In Jesus' name I pray.
And the people said, Amen. Would you stand with us as we sing?